Hey guys, this is Jeff Stanek with Figured Out Baseball. We've got a great Figured Out Baseball podcast for you today. We are being joined today by an assistant coach at Charleston Southern, a Division One school in South Carolina. His name is Lucas Ray. Um, Lucas coaches the catchers and works with hitters and uh, and also coaches first base at Charleston Southern. I'll tell you a little bit more about him, give you more on his background uh, before we jump into questions with him. He also is a contributor uh, on Figured Out Baseball. He's got some really great videos, which we'll probably uh, get into as, as well in a little bit. Uh, but Lucas played at, uh, collegiately played at USC Lancaster, which is an NJCAA Division One in Lancaster, South Carolina. While he was there, he was part of the 2015 Region 10 uh, Tournament Championship team. He started his coaching career in 2017, where he became an assistant coach at USC Lancaster. In 2017, the team won the regular season Region 10 title. They finished second in the Eastern District that year and had a future fourth-round draft pick. He went from Lancaster to uh, NC State and was a fourth-rounder out of NC State. In 2018, Coach Ray was the pitching coach and recruiting coordinator at Florence Darlington Tech, which is also a Division I junior college uh, in the same conference, actually, as Lancaster. They are located in Florence, South Carolina. In 2018, Florence Darlington Tech won the Region 10 regular season title. They finished with a team ERA of 2.83. That was the sixth best ERA in the country. They had an 11th round draft pick on that team who was a pitcher. They had another pitcher on that team who was named the Region 10 Pitcher of the Year. They also had a recruiting class that was ranked third nationally uh, for all junior college schools, and that included a 22nd round draft pick out of high school. In 2019, Coach Ray went back to be the pitching coach recruiting coordinator at USC Lancaster. That team finished with a final record of 30-16. and 16. And then this past offseason, he was hired at Charleston Southern. He will uh, coach the 2020 season for the, at Charleston Southern for the first time. Again, at Charleston Southern, he will coach the catchers, work with hitters, and coach first base during the games. Um, he's also spent some summers coaching in uh, some summer collegiate leagues. Uh, he's, a, he's a young guy with a lot of passion, a lot of energy. Uh, and, and Lucas, we just appreciate you spending some time with us today here on the podcast. Yes, sir. Thanks for having me. Uh, I guess one of the first things I'd like to get into is just um, what you've done with Figured Out Baseball so far. Talk a little bit about your videos uh, before we kind of get into some other stuff. But you, you've you've shot some catching video for us, which has been uh, it's it's really good stuff, and you seem to do a really good job with the catchers um, at Charleston Southern. And it was funny that you and I, we kind of connected on social media, and, and it didn't take long for you to, you know, to buy into the idea and decide you wanted to put some videos on the website. Uh, if you don't mind me just starting there, Lucas, I just, I'd like for you to be able to tell people you know, what it was about the website that drew you in and made you decide that you wanted to be a part of it. Yes, sir. I mean, first off, I, uh, I, I really respect what you're doing with Figure It Out Baseball and the online database, um, you know, these days in, in baseball and, and when young kids are trying to get better at the game and, and develop their craft, you know, you get you have all these camps that cost just buku's amount of money. And, you know, this website with the videos allows them to go on, see the video, watch the drill, reenact it, and then go do it. And they can take it to their coach. They can take it to their travel organization, the recreation department. They can take it to the high school program. You know, just a wide variety of what they can do with the info that they are given from collegiate coaches on the on the internet, and it's um, it's absolutely outstanding. It's a great thing for the young game of baseball, great thing for development, 
um, and shooting the videos, it kind of it, it it helps me out um, get better at how I'm communicating and, and being effective in my communication and words with our guys. Um, just because I have to make sure that everybody understands every little detail, and sometimes you leave that out, and you know what you're trying to say in your head, but you got to figure out how to effectively communicate it to the guys so they understand what you're trying to get them to do or or the point of view you're trying to get them to see. Yeah, I know with a lot of the videos on the website, I, I go back to coaches and just ask for a little more detail here, a little more detail there, and a lot of times it's it's much more than they're used to giving for their players because they're working with, you know, with college athletes who, who already have a pretty good base of knowledge, and, and we try to cover things, you know, for people that just don't really have that background and try to use, you know, language and terminology that, that everybody can understand. Um, you know, we, we try to, to, to go into a level of detail that's maybe a step above what you're used to, and for some coaches it's like, well, I really hadn't thought about that in a while or, like, not sure, quite sure how to phrase that. Like, my guys all understand it, so I think it does make – it makes some coaches think a little bit more than they're – maybe used to think, which is probably good for them and, like you said, good for their communication with their own players in the long run. Um, oh. If you uh, – so you shot your videos on, on catching. Uh, you know, catching, you, you've told me before, catching is your passion, though you've been a, a pitching coach at several of your stops. Um, when, you, when you interviewed for Charleston Southern, did you interview as someone with a, a pitching background, uh, a catching background, a little bit of both. Did they give you any choice of what you worked with, or did you come in here, you know, saying like, "I'd really like to work with catchers if there's an opportunity"? Uh, yeah, I, it was pretty much a mixture of both. Um, you know, Coach Schaefer is a is an outstanding guy with a lot of passion of the game and, and passion for development. And um, and basically, I came in with a with an open mind of saying, you know, tell me what I need to do to help the program. Um, you know, I've always kind of fit that mold when I played as a team player. Um, and, it, and it sounds cliche, but it's honestly, you know, how I view the subject. I'm always just trying to do whatever it takes to ultimately better the program and better the experience for the players. Um, you know, they kind of gave me the option that the catchers needed needed someone to work with and, and come in and dive in on a daily basis, and um, and I basically took it and ran with it. Um, like you said, catching's my passion. Um, I have the pitching background. So it kind of it it helps coach catchers a little better, just because of I see it from a pitching point of view and I see it from a catching point of view because I was a catcher when I played. Um, so I kind of merge those two together, and ultimately we find the best way to handle our pitching staff and perfect our game back there, and and ultimately try to impact the game at the biggest level that we can. Your your passion for catching is, is pretty obvious when you watch your videos. Um, when you're working with your players from day to day, what are some of the some some of the most important things that you focus on? Obviously, you shot your video on on what you shot it on, and I I would encourage guys, you know, anybody listening to this, uh, to go to the website figureitoutbaseball.com. You can see all of Lucas's videos for free, as well as a bunch of other coaches. Uh, thirty more than thirty coaches have video on the website now. We have. Uh, hundreds of videos that are available for free, uh, but if you go to check out your videos, it's, again, it's pretty evident to see the passion. But what do you uh, what do you spend the most time with on your catchers when you're working with your catchers day to day? You know, what, what are you most what are you most focused on with them? Of course, yeah. The, I mean, the biggest thing that we're that we're focused on on a daily basis is trying to mimic the game and and mimic the skills that we that we do in the game the most. Um, you know, when you when you look at the numbers 
of things that happen in the game for catchers. You know, we kind of – I'll dive in a little bit to the numbers of, of all pitches that were taken. Um, so these are all pitches that weren't fouled off, weren't put in play, um, everything to do with, with a catcher enacting on the ball. Um, and, you know, 84% of the pitches that were taken in our fall, pre, or our fall 2019 season at Charleston Southern were, were received. So ultimately, a catcher had an opportunity to, you can call it steal, strike, frame, you know, whatever terminology that, terminology that you want to use. Um, the remaining 14% or uh, 15% were, were blocking opportunities, you know, um, where we got down on two knees, got down on one knee, you know, whether we gloved it, um, wild pitch, whatever you want to call it, it was just a blocking opportunity to keep the ball in front. And then um, right under – 2%, but uh, right above 1% uh, were stealing opportunities where we tried to throw guys out, try to throw guys out at second, um, try to go throw guys out stealing third, or try to back pick somebody. Um, so when we talk about what we look at on a daily basis, it's kind of let's mirror what's going to happen in the game so ultimately we can make the biggest impact on the game. So, And that reflects on, on, on our stance of how we get down back there. Um, I guess I guess you can say I'm a big one knee guy. Um, I love I love catching off of one knee, um, and it's uh, it's not one stance for each guy. It's a, it's a different stance for every guy because uh, you, when you think about it, you know you have a six four, two hundred twenty five pound catcher, and then you have a five eleven, one ninety pound catcher. You know both both of their mobilities are different. Um, so it's kind of why do you ask them to catch the same way? If you know their flexibility is different, you know their strengths are different, you know their hand strengths are different. Um, so it's kind of a we – we try to mirror the game. We get into an optimal receiving stance. We keep that receiving first mindset, you know, because if you – just for example, um, and this kind of goes into what we do on a, on a drill basis um, because we're trying to – we, we have drills, we have progressions where we, where, where we tone in and we focus on that one skill. You know, we focus on receiving the low pitch or we focus on blocking the pitch to our, to our extension side, to our throwing arm side. Um, but a lot of our drills are mimicking game situations. Um, they'll get down, I'll tell them, runner on second, it's a one-two count, and here comes right-handed breaking balls. And they obviously – react to the breaking ball, whether it's going to be in the air or in the dirt. Um, and it's kind of a staying in that receiving first mindset because it's a one-two count. Uh, if we stay in that receiving first stance and we don't get too caught up in trying to make sure that we block this ball, we can ultimately win the pitch at the bottom of the zone and we have a chance to end that bat with a strikeout because we worked hard to receive the pitch rather than you know, getting ourselves worked up and being anxious and, and ultimately trying to block a ball when we could have won the pitch in the receiving um, or, uh, I guess, our thumb underneath and, and getting up underneath it. So that's kind of what we look at on a daily basis. Uh, we do a lot of receiving work just because that's, uh, if you look at StatCast and all these MLB numbers, you know, that's where catchers can impact the game the most, and steal strikes and, and, you know, help handle a pitching staff. So that's kind of we, – we look at those numbers. Um, that's how we formulate what we're going to do on a daily basis. And then we break it down into priorities, and that's kind of what we're going to – what we're going to be as catchers, and that's our identity of, of, 
what we're going to be behind the plate. You know, ultimately we're going to handle the pitching staff first. Um, that's kind of that's our bread and butter. That's that's what we're here for. You know, we're here to, we're here to catch this guy and instill confidence in him so he can throw that one-two breaking ball and not spike it or not let it back up on him, and then the guy gets a double. Um, you know, we're trying to we're trying to make the pitcher better, and that's the only reason that we're back there. Um, you know, and handling the pitching staff goes into the skills, you know, receiving first, blocking second, throwing guys out third. Um, and then all the other situations, whether it may be a field and a bunt, a pop-up, a tag play at the plate, um, you know, a lot of those are, are huge run-saving opportunities, but they don't happen frequently. So we still practice them, but we just don't practice them at a high-frequency basis as we do receiving and blocking, if that makes sense. It does. And I'm and if, um <laughs> I'm gonna. I have a lot of questions about that. A lot of things to get into. And and please don't take this the wrong way. But I think it's a great conversation. And I and I want to get into stuff. I want to ask you some kind of tougher questions about some of this stuff, um, and kind of see where we land on it. So receiving, you said in just uh, for, you know from your own false stats, um, 84% of all the pitches that that weren't put in play where the catcher actually had a chance to handle the ball, they were just receiving opportunities. Nothing else happened. That's you know primarily why you guys worked on receiving a lot. I've heard that from from quite a few catching coaches recently. Um, you know the game. The game continues to progress, and if you follow social media enough, you you kind of see like what's trendy, what guys are are focused on, uh, especially and with catching. You mentioned a couple things that are becoming more like in vogue. One of them is to spend a lot more time on receiving. Another one is uh, a lot of the one knee receiving that you see. Uh, and I'd like to I'd love to talk about both of those things just to give people that are listening, you know, a, a little more in depth insight into some of this stuff. But I want to start with the receiving part of it. And the amount of time spent on, spent on receiving, would it be fair or unfair for someone to say that I don't want to spend? Just say we're going to break it down exactly, you know, or, or close to, uh, you know, how much this stuff's actually used in a game. You just say you're going to spend 80 percent of your time on receiving, fifteen percent of your time on blocking, and and five percent on, uh, you know, throwing runners out. As far as how much time you're spending with guys on practice, because that's kind of how it plays out in, in an actual game. How would you react to someone who says, well, receiving is the easiest part of that. Blocking is a lot more difficult than receiving. Throwing guys out is a lot more difficult than receiving. So I'm going to split my time a little more evenly between those three. What would you say to a coach who had that sort of a perspective compared to, you know, someone who said, well, 85% of our time is just spent just catching the ball, so we're going to spend the majority of our time just working on receiving? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a, that's an outstanding question, um, and that's kind of – you know, uh, kind of just as a as a disclaimer, you know, this isn't this isn't the only way to catch. A lot of people are successful doing other ways. Um, you know, for someone who doesn't want to spend a lot of time on receiving and want to go into blocking and throwing guys out, um, just because uh, it's harder and all that, and and it's more of a, a more critical skill, more of a com- uh, complex skill. Um, you know, it. it I guess what I'm saying is it's kind of, in my thought process, I want to be what's good at the game. Um, and so if you, if you devote time away from receiving and you, and you spend it on blocking more, um, you're kind of losing the thought of how much you could impact the game um, just, because, just because of how many strikes that you can steal and how, how many at-bats you can change with receiving the strikes. Um, 
you know, when you when you look at it, you got to look at your identity as a pitching staff too, because ultimately that's the that's the number one priority. And you know, if you have a pitching staff where they block a lot or where they throw a lot of balls in the dirt, you know, maybe you're have a higher percentage of performing a blocking skill rather than a receiving skill. So blocking might need to be practiced on a little bit more high frequency. Um, it's basically feeling what feeling yourself and feeling the identity of what happens in the game more often um, and, and seeing what your catchers are good at. Um, you know, if your catchers are really good at receiving, then, you know, that's a skill where we, we don't have to spend as much time on that, where it's more of a fine-tuned, um, you know, we still come back to it. We don't abandon it, but we kind of just fine-tune that and we focus on kind of what they're not good at. Um, but all in all, you know, I, I, I remember the quote and I've always, I can't remember where I got this from, but it's, uh, it's, it's be great at what you're good at. And, you know, that's when I, when I think of that question and when I think of working at other skills and taking time away from receiving, I guess that's what I always fall back on is, you know, focus on, focus on how you're going to impact the game. Um, and that's in our, and our catchers kind of at the end of the fall, they, they kind of see it through a lens of, man, I had a lot of opportunities to receive pitches this fall. Um, you know, that was, that was my opportunity to impact the game because I instilled more confidence in them. You know, maybe you don't win, maybe you don't win that strike at the bottom of the zone, but, you know, the, the pitcher now knows that you're working hard for him and, and he's going to have more confidence in spinning that breaking ball or throwing the fastball in, and he knows that you're going to hang in there and try to win that pitch rather than get defensive and just try to keep it in front, if, if that makes sense. It does. And, um, and I think that, you know, the, the focus on the pitching staff and wanting your pitchers to really uh, have, have as much confidence as possible in your catchers is, is really, really important. I can think of one catcher that I coached uh, through the years in particular who was a, a really strong offensive player, um, probably our best offensive player, and he was a good receiver. He was a pretty good blocker. He had a really difficult time throwing guys out. He just he didn't have a great arm. He really had to work very hard at, uh, you know, being proficient throwing guys out. And there were times, mm-hmm. you know, I can specifically remember that teams would basically have the scouting report that this guy couldn't throw anybody out. And a team that averaged, you know, one point something steal attempts a game would, would steal like nine bases off of us. Mm-hmm. And, and that's kind of why I, I just kind of asked that question for any young coaches that are out there, whether it's, you know, a high school head coach who's got to coach every position or whether it's, you know, as well as I do, that sometimes these, sometimes when, when it's your, uh, I don't know how to say this, a lot of colleges don't have a catcher's coach. So it's like the youngest guy or the, the volunteer ends up being the catcher's coach because nobody else wants to coach the catchers. That's, at least that's how uh, I've seen uh, on you know, several other staffs before, so it's kind of like a, a guy gets thrown in there that maybe isn't all that comfortable just because someone needs to do it. And um, uh, I guess for, for that guy who, who maybe is trying to figure out the best way to go about coaching his guys, um, you know, if he's got someone who is better at some other skills and really has a difficult time receiving it and, like, that guy's kind of afraid that other teams are going to expose that catcher and just steal on him all day, is that, uh-huh. is that a situation where you would kind of change the priorities a little bit and tell someone, like, hey, I mean, you might need to spend, like, the majority of your time trying to help that guy catch and throw? Uh, or do you think that receiving is so important that even in a situation like that, would your mindset be 
still be like, hey, the most important thing is to make a strike a strike and help your pitchers out and, you know, where would your priority be, I guess, if, if you were in that sort of situation, whether it was college or high school or, or any, any level, really? Yeah, of course. I think that, I think that goes back to the identity thing, um, you know, just knowing what your catchers are good at and knowing what they, what they need work at. Um, and, you know, if he's, he's not as good at catch and throw, you know, and, and it, other teams are going to expose that, especially, you know, from a stolen bat or a stolen base standpoint, um, I think that's where you dive in more to the transfer work and the throwing the bags, um, and you just fine-tune the receiving skills. Um, a lot of our we, – we have two different sets of drills. You know, you have, you have dry, dry work, which is basically everything without a pitching machine. Um, that's without, like, a live setting. Um, and then we have live settings where we go into pitching machine work and, and everything like that, and we kind of – play above the game speed or try to get mimic the game speed as much as possible. Um, and so in that sense, you know, I would probably go more into from a receiving work on a daily basis. We do a lot of, we would do a lot of dry work, um, just fine tune those skills, make sure our glove pass and, and everything with our hands is working together. Um, not trying to go spend too much time on it, but we're still trying to steadily progress that skill. And that kind of goes back to be great at what you're good at. Um, but we would then, you know, counter and spend the majority of our time in preparation for, for that team or in preparation of, of games if the guy's not essentially good behind the plate on a catch-and-throw standpoint. Um, that's what we would dive more into. We would, we would make sure that we fine-tune the, the transfer work on a dry standpoint where, it's, where I'm flipping them baseballs and he's steadily transferring it, and then um, – and then when we get into a live setting with the infielders and base runners, you know, we would really hone in on throwing the bags and being accurate and efficient. Um, so I guess long, long story short, um, and just to circle everything together, um, and this kind of answers the question, this question and the one previous, is, is just the identity. Um, knowing what your team is good at, knowing what they're bad at, um, and, and steadily fine-tuning the stuff that they are, that they do great, and then, ultimately you have to develop and progress the skills that other teams are going to expose. You know, if another team's going to come in here and we know they're going to steal eight bags a game because our, our, cause our, cause our catcher isn't a good catch-and-throw guy, then we need to make sure that we're prepared with that skill. Um, and I guess the main, the main reason that receiving is just such a high priority on the list is because there's so many – receiving is basically the only skill where it's solely the catcher, um, you know, with – from a from a stealing standpoint, you know you have a pitcher time to the plate. You have his his leg lift, his holds, his looks. How good is his move? Um, how good is he at actually holding the runner to the base? And then you have to you're efficient and accurate with the throw, uh, with the transfer and throw. And then a, a middle infielder or a third baseman has to apply a tag. Um, so it's kind of from when you look at it from those priorities, that's kind of why or that's another reason why we go receiving first in in that mindset but as far as a catcher who's not good at catching and throwing it's just knowing the identity um being being great at what you're good at and steadily fine-tuning the skill that you're great at and then we have to prepare we can't just abandon the skill because they're not good at it we have to steadily progress it so that way another team doesn't come in here and expose our guys 
I can remember that that year specifically that to you know to um, add on to your point that our our pitchers weren't our, our pitchers were okay as far as being quick to the plate. Some of them better than others, you know. And there our pickoff moves were probably as a whole as a staff were below average, I would say. And um, and it was like the, you know the first team that really exposed our catching situation. It was like the most helpless feeling in the world in the dugout. Like oh my gosh, like this pitcher. Pitcher's really slow to the plate today. Like, you know, do you go out there and tell them to all of a sudden slide step? And we just we weren't really well prepared on that side of it. The pitchers didn't do a great job of helping the catcher, and the catcher was a below average thrower. And it was just like the, you know, it was like an automatic double every time somebody got on first base, and it was the most helpless feeling ever. And I just remember sitting there thinking, like, oh my gosh, like we need to spend so much time on this in the next couple of weeks. Um, uh, anyway, so going to uh, sticking with receiving, one knee receiving is something that is gaining a lot more attention. It's something that a lot of other, a lot more teams are doing. You see a lot of it on social media. You see a lot more big league catchers that do it now, probably than before. Um, is what is the big advantage of receiving on one knee as opposed to you know your traditional primary and secondary stances as you 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 know have seen in the past with catchers. Yeah, I mean, a lot of, you know, when a lot of young catchers, um, and I say young catchers, I mean anybody, I guess, below the professional ranks, um, you know, there are a lot of mobility issues. You know, there are a lot of, the hips are tight. Um, you know, they, they work out all the time. They, they're trying to get as strong as possible um, just to be, better to, to be better at the game, and they lack the mobility segment of it. And... You know, that's kind of the one of the huge advantages, in my opinion, of going to the one-knee stance rather than the traditional stance, um, just because there are a lot of catchers that sit back there and, and their knees get poked out and just because their hips are immobile. And that loses us the ability to, to win the pitch in the bottom half of the zone. Um, even pitches that are ultimate strikes that are just a few inches below middle-middle, and we end up bringing them down below the zone because we're just in we're immobile um you know so that's so that's one advantage i think in my opinion uh, of going to the one knee stance you know another another advantage is it opens up a lot of range of motion for the hand um uh, you know like i said it, it throws it gets that knee out that that might be poked out um you know in it in our mindset i, I teach a lot of guys to work from low to high um, and it's really hard to work from low to high when when both knees are kind of in the way and, and we're and we're squatted back. Um, you know, if if you go down to a left knee stance, you have that you have that whole area right in front of the left knee that is open, and then vice versa. If you go down to a right knee stance, you have that whole area that's open. Um, so as far as just advantages, I think it puts the guys in a more comfortable position. Um, you know, and, and it's kind of you see guys, and I think back to me catching pins. Um, in college and high school, and you know when when you're on your sixth or seventh pin of the day, and and you're tired and your and your legs are just beat, and and you wanna, and you and you're just sitting there and you get down on one knee, and you ultimately your your catching ability just increases just because of, of comfortability. You know the knees out of the way, you're you're really locked in on the pitch. You know you're not thinking about the legs being tired, um, so. I guess that's another advantage, um, if, if you want to call it that, you know, through a nine-inning course of a game, 
you know, it kind of takes some stress off the legs because we are sitting on that one knee. Uh, the catchers are a lot more comfortable from it. And, and, the one, and the one knee varies, you know, pitcher to pitcher. Um, you know, if we, if we have a pitcher that, you know, ultimately spikes, spikes a lot of baseball and, and throws a lot in the dirt um, and our guy isn't good off of blocking off of one knee, then he's probably going to stick in the traditional stance. Um, and I guess that goes back to the identity of knowing what your guys are good at. Um, you know, we have a catcher who's absolutely outstanding at blocking off of one knee. Um, and so, and he thinks, he thinks it's easier to block off in his mind and the confidence he has, he thinks it's easier to block off of one knee than it is off the two feet on, like the two feet on the ground traditional stance. And so, and, and that's awesome for him because he has that confidence. And we have another catcher who, you know, sitting on that one knee isn't as great at blocking as he is off the two feet on the ground. Um, so, you know, for him in, in, in high block situations, I guess, um, you know, where, where we're, we're about to bounce the breaking ball or, you know, just runners in scoring position and it's a high pressure situation and he's not confident in blocking off of one knee, then we're going to stick to that two feet, the traditional stance um, that everybody's done for all the years. Um, but I guess <laughs> to circle back and, and answer your question, you know, the advantages from catching off of one knee, uh, I, I know it goes into a mobility segment. You know, uh, catch, I guess guys aren't as mobile nowadays because the stretching and, and the flexibility work has gone to the background as, strength, as the strength work has increased. And, uh, and, and a lot of comfortability standpoint, you know, these guys are a lot more comfortable catching off of one knee. Um, they feel that they can really work their glove and, and manipulate the baseball off of one knee better. Um, and so, and for me, I, I guess that's, that's enough for me to, to convince myself that one knee is ultimately the best position that we need to be in when you think about what happens in the game and how many times we, at, or how many times we perform the actual skills. Yeah, I, I think it's cool. I, I like seeing the one knee stuff. I, it was it's interesting to me. I know that I caught in high school, um, and you know, it was just you know I was a guy that that really I could run a little bit, and and I know that my you know my legs would be pretty gassed. There was one one year in high school our catcher our catcher actually quit. So like the second game of the season, I was the I was the everyday catcher. <laughs> so I caught every day the rest of the year, and it really took a toll on my legs. Uh, and I caught in summer ball as well. Just kind of kept it going, and and I really liked catching. But it, it took a big toll on me, and I just kind of wonder, boy, if I had, if I had done a little more of that, done a little more like just one knee stuff, how much would that have, have just changed and uh, just kind of kept me fresh, and um, and obviously helped with the receiving part of it. Um, as far as just kind of sticking with receiving, Lucas, um, it seems to me just watching the game, college level, pro level, that there is more glove movement now. At, you know, as far as guys, that they catch it, and, and there's movement after the catch than, I, than I've seen before. And I know that when I was young, you know, kind of coming up through any, any camp I went to or, or whatever, it was always kind of like you want to have the least amount of movement possible. You just kind of want to stick the pitch where it is. You just kind of want to make the pitch the way that and – I've, and I've coached catchers uh, at the college level, and, and kind of how I would phrase it to them is you just want the, the pitch to look like it, like it is. Like you, you want to catch it exactly where it is and, and not try to pull it back. Because then the umpire, uh, you know, the umpire sees some of that movement, and he might get a little, 
get a little perturbed and maybe not give you some calls. But now it seems like even at the major league level, like you can find guys that are moving the ball like a foot after they catch it. You know, whether it's whether it's from low in the zone to the middle of the zone or whether it's on the outside corner back to the middle. But there seems to be just a ton of movement. Is that because do you, I mean, do you have any theories about that? Is that because catchers aren't coached as much? Is that because it's just kind of a lazy type thing? Is that because there is, is there a real purpose behind that? Um, do you just have any thoughts about why there's so much movement now in the game behind the plate? Yeah, I mean, I guess the uh, I guess the purpose behind it is you know people have really dove into research and, and seen how many opportunities that the catchers have to increase their impact on the game um, and. And ultimately, you know, people who are who are manipulating the pitches the the most kind of are saving the most runs because they're winning the most strikes. And it's not necessarily we're not necessarily you're trying to trick umpires, but the umpires are calling them strikes. Um, and so, and when you when you think about it in that full circle of it, you know, that's something that we that we need to do to ultimately try to help our team win the most games. Um, I guess the, the extra movement, the way the way I describe it, and um, and the term we use, the terminology we use is it's quiet manipulation. Um, you know, you, you want to stay quiet. You don't want to do anything drastic back there, but you also want to manipulate the pitch, especially those borderline pitches, um, back to the zone as much as possible. Um, and it's not for me. Um, and I guess this is kind of where catching guys. Um, differ there are a lot of differences in the catching guys and a lot of catching guys think uh, I guess to call it they want to bring it back to the middle of the zone um, they want to present it at the, at, uh, at the middle at the very middle middle of the zone for me and and how we stay in the most quiet manipulative pace is I think we just like to bring it back to the closest part of the zone um, and, and that comes with some zone awareness and because you're going to set up on the outside corner, you're going to set up on the inside corner, and you need to know where the box is of, of where the umpire is looking so he can call it a strike. But, you know, it's just staying in that quiet manipulation mindset. Um, you know, the, the glove movement post-catch, um, we, we try to limit it as much as possible. We try to make the catch and the presentation look like a one-fluid motion. Um, you know, because ultimately, in my, and this is just in my opinion, but I think if you if you make the catch and the presentation look like one fluid motion, and so it's quiet, but you also manipulate it back to the closest part of the zone, and that's where you present it. I think that's where you can get the most strikes called, and without losing trust in the umpire, because I think if you take a pitch that's six inches off, and, and you take it back to the middle part of the zone, um, number one, a lot of people see a lot of post catch movement. Um, and, and it's loud, you know, even fans notice it. And, uh, and then the umpire notices it, and now you can lose a little trust from the guy that's standing behind you that's, that's ultimately dictating um, a huge outcome of the game and it strikes and balls. Um, just because, you know, that 0-0 pitch, if you go 0-1 or 1-0, it's a huge, huge change in that bat. Um, so uh, I guess to answer your question for the, uh, for the full circle of, all the extra movement and, and people moving. Um, for me, it's just a lot of quiet manipulation. It's it's uh, keep it one fluid motion. You know, get get to the spot of the ball, build that straight line back to the back to the closest part of the zone, and that's where we present it. If we get it called a strike, we get it called a strike. If we don't get it called a, or if we don't get it called a strike, 
we present it, he says ball, we take it out of the glove and throw it back, you know, no harm done. Um, we know that pitch was a ball. We had a chance to win it. We didn't win it, but we're going to keep working because he's ultimately going to throw another borderline pitch, and we got to win that one. I like that mindset a lot better. I like how you said that. I hadn't heard it presented exactly like that before bringing it back to the closest part of the, of the strike zone. Um, but it seems like, you know, one of the guys, and I, and I don't mean to – I hate calling out a big leaguer, um, and I don't mean to do that necessarily, but I think of Gary Sanchez, and it feels like sometimes he's receiving balls that are like a couple inches off the plate, and he's bringing back to the middle of the plate, and it just, it's like, it just seems so ridiculous. And he's not the only catcher, but he's just one of the ones that pops into my mind right now. Um, but I like, I, I like your, uh, your thought process a little better, uh, and it just makes more sense to me just bringing it back to the closest part of the zone. Now, are you just doing that for borderline pitches? Are you doing that for anything that is within – you know, six inches of the plate. What do you kind of? How are you? What are you telling your catchers as far as you know? What's a pitch that you're kind of that you're going to bring back and try to win it? And what's a pitch that you're just kind of receive it an obvious ball and, and you know throw it back to the pitcher and not try to make the umpire not try to sell that one to the umpire? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a uh, I think it's a huge a huge feel thing for them. Um, just having a feel for the zone, like like uh, the zone awareness. Uh, you know, just just knowing how far that pitch is off. Um, I don't want to put – I don't necessarily put a number on it um, just because, you know, depending on umpire, depending on pitcher, how much, you know, maybe arm side run, how much sink or, or how much his, his slider's breaking away horizontally, you know, things things change in how wide the zone can be at times. Uh, so, you know, I guess the determinant of it, if it's outside your body, it's more than likely an obvious ball. Um, now that's not saying we can't. We can definitely win pitches that are outside of our body, depending on where we set up on the plate. Um, but you know, if it's outside of your body, it's pr- it's probably more likely, obviously, going to be a ball. Um, so we catch that, we throw it back. We're not trying to present every pitch to the closest part of the zone. If we do that, like I said, I think, in my opinion, you you lose trust with the umpire, and and when you're when you're thinking of impacting the game, that's kind of the the biggest impact you can have is, is, is in when you're stealing strikes. And if you don't have trust in the umpire behind you, that's, it, it kind of just makes it non-existent that you can impact the game. Um, so, you know, those, those borderline pitches, those are the ones we're trying to win. Um, in my opinion, we should be 100% successful at, at obvious strikes. Um, and that's just more likely uh, – if we're good with our glove pass, if we're good with how we're working towards the baseball before we make contact with it and we're taking everything back to the closest part of the zone, then I think you should be able to win 100% of obvious strikes. You catch it, you catch it, guy calls it a strike, and you throw it back to the pitcher. There's nothing, there's no need to do anything to that pitch. Um, once it gets outside of our body, you know, that's more of the obvious ball. We catch it, we throw it back, and we keep that trust between us and the umpire. Again, that you know that that makes tons of sense. <laughs> I think your receiving philosophy in general makes a ton of sense, and and I think that for young guys that are listening to this, you know, whether it's a young catcher or a catcher's coach out there, you know, I think that's a, a good way to go about it. I, I don't. I guess I just always hesitate with you know guys that are moving the ball like a foot, and, and exactly. I think how bad that makes the the umpire look. But I also have seen you know some of your drills and some other drills we have on the website, other stuff you see online. Um, especially receiving the low strike and just how natural you can make it look 
you know, to receive a ball that's, a, that's maybe a baseball or two below the zone. And, and if you start below the ball and you're kind of working up toward, you know, working upward toward the strike zone as you're receiving it, how just how, how it looks so natural and doesn't look like a pull necessarily. It doesn't look like you're catching it and then pulling it in the zone. It's like a, it's like one continuous movement, which I, I think that you mentioned. Um, is that sort of your strategy as well? And, and how much of that starts with just where you're set up before the ball comes in to put yourself in a position to be able to receive the ball and manipulate manipulate it a little bit and, and hopefully uh, you know get the benefit of the doubt on a borderline pitch for an umpire. How much of that starts with with your setup and, and kind of your anticipation of the pitch? Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, I think in my opinion, I think the way you win borderline pitches it comes down to two facets of catching. And, and that's your stance of how you set up and, and where you're at, where you position yourself, and, and your glove path. And that and that's essentially just how your glove moves pre-pitch um, and, and what it does before you make contact on the baseball. And that's kind of – that. those are kind of the two, the two constraints on that what set us up for success. Um, you know, if one of those are – if one of those are poor, if we're getting into bad stances or if we're catching off the two feet when we need to be a one-knee guy, or if we're catching off with one knee and we need to be a two feet guy, you know that kind of that kind of puts us in a poor situation and sets us up not to be successful. And so, so when you when you look at that, you know your stance obviously you've got to be set up in a way to to win the most strikes, to win the borderline pitch. Um, and that's I guess going back to previous questions, you know that's a huge advantage with the low pitch is is having that knee out of the way, and and we can really work with the glove pre pre contact of the pitch. To, uh, to manipulate it. And then with the glove path, you know, I give some of my guys, it's kind of a, it's first initially when we get into our stance, we want to present it where we want the pitch to be. Um, and, you know, at the college level, you know, these guys, these guys know where they're going to throw the ball or know where they're trying to throw the ball. Um, so we just want to give them a reference point real quick. Um, and that's, a, it takes a second. You give them the reference point of where you want it. Um, and then for me, it's, this is where it depends on each guy. You know, some guys go immediately to the ground, um, and I and I believe one of the coaches on on uh, on figured out baseball called it a load. Um, and I, I really I really like that terminology just because just because that's our that's our load as a catcher. Um, you know, hitters they want to feel the rubber band effect and, and get loaded. You know, this is our leg lift of what pitchers do in their windup. Um, you know, we're get we're getting ready to perform our skill. So we need to we need to put ourselves in the optimal position to do it, and you know we show the presentation of where we want it. We go down to the ground, go down to a couple inches below the zone, um, and that's a feel thing for the guy, depending on who it is and, and what they want to do. And then this is the the most critical part to receiving that low pitch is is waiting to move, and it's not you don't want to move too early. You know you want the you want the ball to dictate what you do with the glove. You know, if, if we move early, then our glove can get above the baseball, and ultimately we won't be able to win that low pitch um, just because of the momentum of the grab of momentum of gravity from the pitch and the momentum of our glove. It kind of counteracts each other, and the gravity wins, and it brings the pitch down. Um, so, you know, what we're trying to do is stay below the ball as long as possible. We want to wait to move. You know, I mean, I, I tell my guys, move, move late. Move at the last second. Um, those are just kind of cues. Obviously, we don't want to. Obviously, we don't want to wait so long to move that we miss the ball and it hits us. But um, but those are just cues to think about as we're as the pitch is coming in 
and then and then once we get ready to make to make contact of the pitch, you know, we bring the glove up to it. We build that momentum from the ground, um, and and the biggest thing is catching the bottom of the baseball, um, especially with that low pitch. And this kind of goes for everything for for borderline, uh, in my opinion. You know, we're just we're trying to catch the ball side of the baseball, if if that makes sense. We're trying to catch the opposite side of the strike zone of the baseball, as opposed to and, the strike side of the baseball. Right? Yes, sir. Okay. Yes, sir. So it's kind of a uh, we want to build momentum to that pitch. And you know, when you think of of beating the ball to the spot, we're not trying to get to the spot where the baseball is coming in. We're trying to get to that opposite side of the baseball. Um, so, and this goes for glove side pitches, arm side pitches, down pitches, and up pitches. Um, you know, we're trying to get to that, the ball side of the baseball, the opposite side, and then that's when we've had momentum built and we get to that, we get to that point, then it's easy. All we have to do is build a straight line. We, and as, as we're building the straight line from that opposite point back to the closest part of the zone, we just make a catch. And so it kind of, that's, that's very, I guess, an elaborate way to think about a, a skill that takes under a second. Um, but, you know, when, when you think about that and you think about the cues and then you actually do it, you see video of big leaguers doing it and you see video of yourself successfully doing it, then it becomes easy and that kind of elaborate process is now fine-tuned into something very simple and that's just beat the ball to the spot and build a straight line back to the zone. Um, so and it's a, and it's a long process, you know. I, I love I love using the term Rome wasn't built in a day. Um, you know, it's not you're not going to go out there today and ultimately teach your guys how to uh, how to win that pitch at the bottom of the zone. It takes a countless hours of early work, countless hours of of dry work where you're just flipping balls to them, of of a variety of drills to do to to mimic the glove coming from the ground and building the momentum. You know, it's there, there, it takes a lot of work, but when you see it in a game, and you know, just for just for example, when when your number one pitcher say say your number one pitcher is is 88 to 92 with a really good breaking ball, um, when he's winning that pitch below the guy's knees, you know, say at the shin for for example, um, because our catcher is really good, that makes hitting so much harder for the other team. Um, and so that's kind of when you're putting in these countless hours of doing it, when you think of the elaborate process and, and you might say that's overwhelming, that's too much, um, but then you're, then you're able to do it, you see success, and then you simplify it, you know, and then you see what impact you can have on the game. That makes it all worth it, in my opinion. Um, you know, that makes it all worth it. Our, our pitcher has more confidence. We're winning more strikes, so we, we're giving ourselves a bigger chance to win the game um, and keep their guys off the base. And then now, you know, with us winning those strikes, it can create a, it can create just so many different things. Um, you can you can instill just a lot more urgency in the opposing team of now they're free swingers because they're like, man, this umpire is giving them everything, and now they're swinging at everything. And now we throw a breaking ball a breaking ball off the plate six inches, and they're swinging at it, and we get a strikeout. And you know, it's you want you don't want to compound things all the time but you can compound it back to the fact of he swung at that pitch and this might not always be the case but he swung at that pitch that was six inches off because we won the pitch that was four inches below the zone if, if that kind of makes sense and sums it all up 
Absolutely. So with the, um, you know, a lot of the catching work that that is in your video, a lot of it is, you know, working low to high. What about when you have a pitcher who is a, one of those high spin rate guys who wants to work his um, his fastball at the top of the zone? Are you are are you starting any differently? Because obviously, if you're if you're if your load, like if you're if your target and your load is below the zone, and you have a guy that wants to work at the top of the zone, it's a long way to go, and it's going to be difficult to catch that ball, to catch the ball side of that ball, and kind of you know keep it in the zone. Are, are you um, are your catchers working any differently for a guy who's got more success at the top of the zone than the bottom of the zone? Uh, yes. I mean that just kind of that kind of goes back to the identity thing of of knowing who the pitcher is, um, and and that just comes from countless reps of catching their pins and watching them throw. Um, you know, your high spin rate guys, you know, we're going to we're going to put our guy back there who's most efficient with his glove. Um, and that's and there's no wasted movement because if we have wasted movement, um, then we're ultimately not going to be able to get to that pitch up in the zone. Uh, we still we still keep the same thing. The glo- the glove pass idea for me is is universal and it's kind of stay in that low to high mindset just because just when you think of it from a hitting context, you know, a lot of a lot of pitches that the umpires miss, they don't miss a lot of low pitches. They miss, you know, they kind of they kind of know where the bottom of the zone is. Um, and if you're really good at that initial movement after you catch it, then they can extend it a little lower. Um, you know, umpires miss a lot of pitches that are up, um, and that's just you know, when you when you sit down and and we just use the example this example from a hitting perspective. You know, when when you sit down and you look at the pitch at your belt, that's usually above your catcher's head. Um, And that's usually right at the eyes of the umpire. And so, you know, that is a pitch that they that they that they miss a lot. And so if we put somebody back there who's not efficient with the glove or or if we're not thinking of glove efficiency, then we ultimately lose that pitch, and that's a pitch that's a strike 100% of the time. It's in the box, but our umpires miss it because we never get to that ball side of the ball. Um, and so that's – and it's difficult. It's, it's definitely difficult. It's probably the most difficult pitch to receive when you're staying in that low to high mindset and you're staying below the zone and you're coming up to everything. Um, but it's just – that just goes from the training environment of, of practicing it. You know, that's it's – we when we set up our we use hack attacks and when we set up our hack attack, we're we're not just peppering the bottom of the zone. Um, we'll we'll mix in pitches up. We'll mix in pitches glove side and arm side. And so if we're if we're universal with the glove pass, then we're efficient with it, which means we're going in a straight line. We're not we're not going um, we're not having excess movement that's not helping us receive the pitch better. You know that's kind of how we catch the high spin rate guys and. And that all goes to, you know, the, the mindset behind when we get behind the plate of the guy on the mound. You know, it, I guess what I'm saying is we'll, we'll know beforehand, you know, where we're trying to work up or low in the zone, you know, and this guy knows that it's a high spin rate guy. He's going to pitch at the top of the zone. So we have to be prepared to be efficient with our glove and get, a top, get on top of the baseball and, bring, and build that momentum from the outside of it and bring it back down to the strike or to the strike zone. Uh, just one more, I, another question, just about a one knee type of thing, just uh, just for kind of something that, that popped in my mind. If you, uh, it seems, uh, you know, you've, and you've said this that you are, 
you kind of like to go catcher by catcher and what they're comfortable with and, and you know, depending on their mobility, things like that, you might have a guy that, that primarily receives on two feet as opposed to receiving on one knee. Um, could you, is, is that so individualized? Uh, this might be a weird question, but just, <laughs> just think about for people that are listening to this and thinking like, boy, I don't think any of my catchers physically can do that. Would you ever, just if you had a, a group of catchers who just didn't quite have um, the mobility or was just extremely comfortable on, on two feet, they're really, really mobile, really agile, and just very, very comfortable on two feet, could you ever see yourself having a full catching staff where everyone was a two-feet receiver, or is that something that's so important to you to go to one knee that you feel like you would work that into guys and hopefully get them to a point where they were comfortable with it uh, again, or is that something that just is whatever the individual catcher is most comfortable with, whatever he feels the most confident with? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a, uh, <laughs> that's, that's a great question. Um, and, you know, it, it's, it's all about the individual. Um, it's all about what he does successfully, what he does great, and uh, and what he does poorly, you know. If if I have say say if I have four in, four catchers and all of them out on an individual basis are better off with two feet, then we're probably going to catch majority of the time on two feet. Um, and I guess that I guess when you when you have that perspective, it kind of goes back to the flexibility of a coaching mindset. And it's not you know we don't want a cookie cutter this thing. We don't like like we don't want our six four two hundred twenty five pound guy to catch the same way as our 5'10", 180-pound guy when, when everything's different, when their strengths, weaknesses, mobility, everything's different. Um, so, and, and that's kind of the same thing for, like, a hitting and a pitching standpoint. You know, everybody everybody plays the game differently. And, and the game was played. I'm, I'm very close removed from the game, but, but everybody plays the game different, and, and yearly the game changes. Um, the game's constantly changing. And it's kind of adapt. You have to adapt, and you have to put your guys in the ultimate best training environment, the just the best environment in general for their individual success. Um, you know how I we have a redshirt sophomore who who's really good off of one knee, and then we also have a sophomore who's really good off, or or loves catching off of two feet. Um, you know, in my cues, in my terminology, and in the video I show them. Is it's much different from person to person. You know, obviously we have some universal things that all of us catchers try to do, but you just have to be individual and you have to succumb to that guy and what's going to make him better in that personal standpoint and not try to cookie cutter the whole staff. It's a great way to look at it. I, I think it's such a it's, a it's a mature way to look at it. It's something I think is difficult for some young coaches to do so it's it's great to hear that uh that you've already that you've got that that's your perspective and, and hopefully people listening to this will uh, take heed to that uh one more area uh lucas i'd like to get into before i let you go for the day i uh, just want to talk about recruiting catchers a little bit um as, as a volunteer for people that i don't know if everyone knows the rules but it, it currently on a division one staff you have the head coach you have two paid assistants and you have a volunteer uh, and the volunteer is not allowed to recruit off campus, so you're you're not doing any off campus recruiting right now. Um, but you have in the past as a junior college coach. When you're out looking at a catcher, recruiting a catcher, uh, what are some what are the recruitable tools for a catcher that you, that are the most important to you? You know, when you're out watching a guy, you know, what is a catcher that 
you go on the road and you and you see a guy and you're like, wow, I really like that guy. I really like him catching a lot. What does that guy look like to you in your mind if you were to build sort of the, uh, you know, a, a recruit that would really get you excited when you're watching him, when you're watching him play a high school game or a junior college game? Yeah, I, I guess the the number one thing to always think about, um, and this this goes for recruiting catchers and this goes basically for recruiting everybody in general, is, you know, don't, don't be afraid to get to work when the guy gets on campus. Um, and that's kind of, you know, don't, just because you see one thing you don't like, but if you, can, if you can help coach it up and, you know, we can work together on it and we can make that skill better, you know, just, just because it's going to take some time or it's going to take some hard work, it's going to take some extra hours, you know, it's going to take a lot of effort on your end, you know, that's something to not be afraid of. Um, and so that's kind of the thought process I use when, when watching guys is, you know, I'm, I'm not afraid to get to work. And so basically what I'm looking for is I want to see, I guess, the intangibles, the stuff that's, I guess, going to be hard to coach or the stuff that you can't coach, um, whether, whether it may be how he controls the game or how he handles the pitching staff, you know, how he's instilling the confidence, the, the nonverbal cues in between pitches or, or trying to talk his guy up in a tough situation. You know, there's runners on second and third. You know, he just walked the guy to load the bases, and he gets behind the guy, the guy on at bat 1-0, and, you know, you see a catcher fist bumping or, or doing something to, to instill that confidence. You know, that's kind of oh, – that's, that's something that's a huge attention grabber. Um, you know, and that's something I love. It's – you know, that, like it, it kind of goes back to that's your whole purpose of being there is for the pitcher. You're serving the pitcher, and you're trying to make him better, um, and you're trying to impact the game through him. And so – when you look at it from a recruiting standpoint, you know, you're looking for the guy who, who knows who can, can handle a pitching staff, can, can control the game from that, who knows the game, who has a lot of high IQ, IQ decisions. You know, when it's 3-2, two, two outs, and there's runners on base, he comes out and lets the guys know that we're going to throw across. Um, you know, it's just kind of little, little things like that that add up um, to know that it's, it's, it's going to be a great training environment with this guy when we, when we give him our receiving philosophy, when we give him our blocking philosophy, you know, everything like that. Um, you know, obviously you look for the mobility. You know, you look, for, you look for the mobility to already be there so that way you can give him, you know, I like, to, I like to call it, you know, you give him a buffet of skills. You know, you give him a buffet of drills. You know, hey, Here's here's all the stances you can work from. Here's the glove path we got to use. You know, here's here's everything that we can do to be a catcher, and they kind of take what they want from it and they go back to their seat and they eat it, um, or they go back to their seat or they go back to the field and they use it. Um, so you know, you're looking for the mobility standpoint where it's you can give them the tools to, to succeed and he's going to take it and run with it. Um, and that kind of goes – that kind of more dives into it once you get to know the guy on a, on a personal standpoint and on a character basis of, you know, just because, just because the, the, the high school coach says he's great or the junior college coach says he's a great person, he's a hard worker, you know, and, and he's really good on the field, you still have to build that personal relationship with him because if you can't connect with him or, or if you can't talk baseball with him or, or have an educated conversation with him, then – you're not, you're not going to be able to coach them. Um, you're not going to be able to give them a game plan when we are about to go face a, a top-tier team and he's not going to know or he's not going to be able to relate to you on how to prepare for this game or, or how to get ready to play these guys. Um, 
So and that just comes from like a conversation standpoint with the with the recruit on a daily basis of of making sure he's a high character individual, making sure he can, you know, formulate and talk through his opinions. And and you know, you're you're not looking for yes men, you're you're looking for people who want to talk baseball with you and, and wanna get on the ground and, and try to find a way to make their craft ultimately the best. And so I guess for the, from a recruiting standpoint, you know, you're looking for the mobility. You're, you're looking for the skills. Obviously, you want, you want them to be able to catch and throw. Um, you, want them, you want them to be able to block well. You want them to be able to receive well. But there's a, lot of, there's a lot of stuff when you get to work in a good training environment that you can teach and help progress and develop. Um, so you're looking for the intangibles. You're looking for the stuff you can't coach or stuff that takes three to four years to develop in the guy. Um, so, I mean, overall, I mean, everybody, everybody would love a catcher who, who receives a great and, and hits 350 with double digit doubles. So, but, um, but you can't, and that, but that's a future big leaguer and some, and not all the time you can find those guys. Um, so it's finding your niche, find, finding what, who's going to come in here and work right for you and, and be able to come in here, control the game from behind the plate, handle the pitching staff and really really a take to a game plan you give them and prepare for the game and be ready to go perform. This might be kind of a weird question. This will be the last one, and I'll leave you with this. Um, a walk-on catcher. Every, every, you know, every school, usually you're recruiting four catchers. It's, that, that's a standard thing, you know, two to three guys on scholarship and at least one non-scholarship guy just, frankly, because you need numbers. You need a, you need a guy. You need guys to catch bullpens. Not that you, you know, it's not uh, – maybe the best thing to say that you were recruiting a guy just because you need a number, but, but, but you do, I mean, and you have, you certainly have a lot of guys on a division one team who are non-scholarship guys. And again, you need at least, uh, at least three or four catchers on a, on a staff to be able to get through the season. Um, a non-scholarship player who maybe doesn't have all the tools, you know, maybe lacks, lacks something here, or there, size, strength, yeah, a little bit of offensive ability or, or what have you, what would be a guy that, that you feel like if you have this one thing, if you could point to this, if there is this thing, if he, if you have this one thing, this one tool, as a catcher, you can you can probably find your way onto a Division One roster, and hopefully the rest of it follows, and you're able to have a good career. But this one skill is probably the most coveted, and something you feel like if you just do this one thing right, even if you don't do a lot of other things really well, you know you can probably fit in on a, on a Division One team. Is is there any one thing that you would point to that would be sort of that one skill for the catcher that that maybe trumps all the others? Oh, a hundred percent, and that, and that, and that's kind of, and I guess it's an elaborate answer, but it's handling the pitching staff, um, and that, and that's a huge umbrella, I guess, to, to lock into. So, so the fine tunes or the specific skill that you look at it is being able to receive. Um, you know, if he can, if he can handle the pitching staff, you know, whatever role it may be, a defensive replacement late in the games, you know, or you're you're catching a lot of bullpens. And you know if you're if you're receiving the guy great and you're handling them, you know you know what cues to use, you know how to talk to him through his pitches, let him know how they're breaking, let him know how they're tunneling, you know let him know the speed difference of what of what the perception of the speed difference is to a hitter, um, just because you're catching it and you're feeling it right there, um, you know that's a that's stuff that ultimately is just a hundred percent yes I I get fired up about it. Um, pitching coaches get fired up about it when you have a catcher who can do that. Um, you know, a, ca- a catcher is an extension of the pitching staff. So I guess when you're looking for that one skill, 
if the catcher is an extension of the or a extension of the pitching coach, excuse me, um, if the catcher is the extension of the pitching coach, I mean that's that's ideal. I mean that's that's absolute or absolutely just great to have in the program. Um, and there's and there's nothing that you can do to to describe how great of a feeling that is to have that catcher back there who knows the cues, who can handle the pitching staff, instill some confidence, and, and can ultimately receive at, at a great at a great ability. Awesome, great outlook. Um, I appreciate all the information, Luke. This is Lucas Ray, everybody. He's uh, one of the coaches at Charleston Southern University, Division One school in Charleston, South Carolina. Uh, a, a very young, energetic, and clearly a guy that's very passionate for the game. Um, he got kind of a cool background. If you haven't watched his videos, you know, if you check him out on FigureItOutBaseball.com, he's got free content on there as well as uh, a lot of other coaches. Hundreds of videos on there for free. You know, check out his bio. You'll learn some some cool things about Coach Ray. He's got an interesting background and somebody that we're really excited to have uh, on board here with Figure It Out. And uh, and Lucas, I just uh, you know personally appreciate your time this morning. You guys are mid-season, uh, well not mid-season, but you're into your season right now in the beginning stages of it. And you know for you to take this kind of time during the season means a lot. Um, so I really appreciate your time and you know all that you've given so far to Figure It Out Baseball. And hopefully we can continue to have you as a you know, as an ongoing contributor, whether it be videos or podcasts or whatever, but it's been great having you this morning and, um, you know, look forward to staying in touch with you. Yes, sir, Jeff. Thanks for having me. Um, Figure It Out Baseball is absolutely amazing. It's a, uh, it's a great tool and a great medium for just everybody, everybody to use, whether it be young baseball players, high school baseball players, or, or coaches of all levels. Um, it's just absolutely outstanding what you're doing. And uh, and it's and it's great and, and the best thing about it is it's free to subscribers, um, so that that's great. It can help people internationally here in here in the United States, um, cities, small towns, everywhere. Um, it's absolutely great, and re- I really appreciate you having me on today. Thanks for the pitch. I didn't even uh, I didn't even prep him on that. That he came up with that himself, guys. So, <laughs> but everything he said is true. That's all the people we're trying to reach, uh, trying to make the game more accessible to everyone, trying to make better coaching more accessible to everyone. And, and when you've got a whole, uh, I guess our, our premise is to have a whole website of, of college coaches on here that, you know, guys you can trust, guys that have the experience that you're looking for to coach your kid or, or to, if you're a high school coach, you know, who do you want to learn from? We want, you want to learn from guys that are doing it at a higher level than you. And that's what we're, we're really after. So I appreciate the kind words a lot, uh, Lucas. Good luck to you guys the rest of the way. And uh, I think the future, future is very bright for you and any team that you coach with is lucky to have you. So again, I appreciate you being here and best of luck to you and the team going forward. Yes, sir. Thank you.